And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to the Success Story Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Clary. On this podcast, I have candid interviews with execs, celebrities, politicians, and other notable figures, all who have achieved success through both wins and losses, to learn more about their life, their ideas, and their insights. I sit down with leaders and mentors and unpack their story to help pass those lessons on to others through both experiences and tactical strategy for business professionals, entrepreneurs, and everyone in between. Without further ado, another episode of the Success Story Podcast. All right. Thanks again for joining me. Today, I am very excited to be sitting down with Per Yillenhammer, former longtime CEO of Volvo, who has a new book coming out in September called Character is Destiny, Reflections on Innovation and Integrity from Volvo's Longest Serving CEO. Now, a little bit of a background. Uh, Per has a 24-year tenure uh, that was historic, groundbreaking in Volvo's history. When he became Volvo's CEO in 1971, he completely redesigned the company's plants, assembly methods uh, to prioritize the health, well-being of the workers, a man way ahead of his time. Uh, He addressed the first global environmental convocation in 1972 UN Environmental Conference and made a public commitment to make Volvo more environmentally friendly and to protest the regime of apartheid. He closed Volvo's Durban plant in South Africa in 1976, one of the first CEOs to divest. In addition to transforming Volvo, uh, Yellenhammer directly shaped industry in Europe, creating European Roundtable and Industrialists, which conceived of and implemented major infrastructural improvements, such as the France-England Channel Tunnel. Uh, he has also worked with or served on the boards of such institutions as Lazard, Rotors, Rothschild, Chase Manhattan Bank, the Aspen Institute, the Rockefeller University, and the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Yellenhammer's writing has been published on CNN, Business news, automotive news, and many, many more. Thank you so much for sitting down. Very, very excited to understand how you became the man you are today. So, thank you. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. Nice, so, to, uh, nice to be with you. Oh no, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. You, as I read these things off um, over your career, uh, environmental impact, um, moving away from. Uh, countries that don't do business properly like you did in in South Africa and whatnot. These all seem to be very commonplace now and a lot of organizations uh, fall in line with this type of ideology, very forward thinking. But you have to remember in 1971, that was not always the case as you were a leader in many of these. But before that, walk me through how you even became uh, the CEO of Volvo and and your career. And then we'll go into what you're, you're doing now. Well, the, it was it was the chairman of Volvo at the time who visited me. I lived in Stockholm at that time, and said, "Could we have a conversation with you?" I said, "Fine." And then he said, uh, without any uh, ado, he said, "We would like you to be the CEO, chief executive of Volvo." And how and how about did you fall into that role? How did you handle it? What was what was your, I guess, um, your preparation for managing um, such a large company? Well, I had no preparation, except I was the head of the largest insurance company in, in the Nordic area for uh, one year and uh, nine months, I think it was, when they came to say that, would you like to join Volvo? And I, I thought it was so tempting with Volvo as the car and truck manufacturer and uh, aviation and space 
So I said yes, without without thinking. <laughs> <laughs> was it was it difficult to move into a role like that? Did you have struggles, hurdles, or was a lot of it you were prepared for it? No, I was not prepared for it at all. It was a great surprise, a great surprise. But I think I said yes within one hour while I was still head of uh, uh, Scandia, the insurance company, which was the largest insurance company in the in Nordic area. So it was very dramatic uh, in my surroundings. Uh, not not least the chairman of the of Scandia, who who thought that I was his golden boy, I think, and uh, he, he he lost me very quickly. <laughs> But, and as you moved into as you moved into Volvo, um, you did a lot of things that I think were ahead of their time. What? How did you come to some of these decisions? As I read off your background, divesting from uh, Durban or divesting from South Africa, closing the, the Durban plant, um, prioritizing, uh, and all these different convocations and other campaigns that you did. Where did that come from? Where did was that uh, something that you? were always championing, or was it just you trying to look ahead of where work and leadership was going at the time? I was very independent, and uh, I had uh, I had a an examination in in uh, law studies. I was a a, a, a candidate of, of of law, and I, I don't know why. It was just that. It was partly liberal, it was partly historical, it was partly with the time, and, and I studied both in, in England and I studied in the United States, and uh, I decided to do the legal studies. And they were terribly boring, and therefore I did it in three years instead of the normal five and a half. And after that, I didn't know what to do. I thought earlier that I would like to be an actor, but I, I discarded that and uh, came to the insurance company and became chief executive, one of the youngest in the well in Europe, really, and 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 then Volvo, where I was also many years the, the youngest because many of my uh, colleagues in, in in the automotive industry and in the aviation and space industry, they were about fifty at the time. So I was seen as very young, which probably was true. And how did you manage that from a leadership perspective, managing all these individuals that were much older than you? Was that difficult? Well, it, it was difficult, but I was also, uh, I was vigilant. I was fairly tough. So uh, I wanted to make a totally different organization with a delegation of re responsibility. So eventually I had a headquarter of 100 people instead of 1,200, no, 2,200 that the, the, the company that I took over had. So I slimmed it down. I made uh, every part of the business their own company subsidiary of, of a mother company. And, and uh, that changed also the whole organization because you had to have a chief executive within the group uh, on, on uh, every one of these five sections. So uh, it became much more flexible and much more dynamic, uh, and that is what I was looking for. And in uh, one year after I, I exceeded the, 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 the chief executive, uh, I... Uh, I also called a council of blue-collar workers and some white-collar workers. Because the blue-collar workers, when I moved there, I said, I will see to it that they are the best and that they have a very good environment. And uh, that is my motto. And uh, we had a council of uh, about 20 people, most of them blue-collar workers. So that was how I started. I want to I want to understand because I feel and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of the lessons. The, so the book is entitled "Character Is Destiny," which I absolutely love, and it's such a yes. it's such a meaningful 
title, and I'm sure there's a lot as to why you called it that. But you also, the, the subtitle is Reflections on Innovation and Integrity from Volvo's Longest Serving CEO. And I think that, you know, I, I'm realizing this as we speak, like a lot of the lessons that you implemented as CEO of Volvo, I think are, these are the lessons that are discussed in the book, correct? I want to draw that parallel. Yes, yeah. correct. Good. So as you make these changes to Volvo, as you make it more agile, more lean, you put together a council of, of blue-collar workers. What, what are the results that you see? Or, or rather, you can even speak about it in the reference to your book. Let's speak about how the book is, is divided and broken down, and maybe that will give a little bit more structure for, for some of the things that we can chat about, too. Well, you go ahead. You've okay. seen the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. So as some of these come out, as, as you start building out some of these actual processes and programs, what is the result that you see uh, when you put unionized blue-collar workers? Is this something, and I want to put it in perspective for today's listener, for today's reader. Yeah, yeah. Was this a commonplace in, in your time, or was this groundbreaking? It was groundbreaking because uh, the automotive industry around the world, in the United States, in Europe, and you know, England and France and Germany, uh, you had the assembly line. Yeah. I started a plant, a new plant, because we, we needed more capacity that had no assembly line. It had assembly, but it didn't have an assembly line. So it was not moving. The blue collar workers didn't have to move with the assembly line. They could stay and they could do their mandate, which was at least 20 minutes for a team of nine to 10. And uh, uh, that made it more interesting for them. It was more demanding. Uh, they put together part of a car and the engine and the transmission and the whole system. And uh, there, there were about three, three to four teams who could do the whole car. And uh, that was new, new. And uh, I had interest from uh, people from outside the Sweden at the time. Uh, our biggest market was already in the United States. And uh, when we opened the plant, uh, Henry Ford asked if he could come and visit, and he did. And uh, uh, the head of uh, the uh, Auto Workers Union, uh, he also came and uh, uh, wanted to see it. So I had those two at the same time, and also the Prime Minister of Sweden, who, who almost came in the shadow <laughs> behind these rather two giants. Yeah. So uh, that was an interesting start. And then we had to close the plant for visitors because there were too many who wanted to come from uh, different parts of the world. But the, the, the plant was successful. It took... Uh, probably about a year to make it absolutely run in. But then it, it worked extremely well. And uh, it, it had platforms that moved through electric engines and, and just came up to the team that was going to do the work. That And the shift was about 20 minutes for each team. That's It's incredible because, as, you know, you mentioned... Um, Henry Ford, who is, is thought of as almost one of the uh, revolutionaries in, in the automation process in the assembly line. And this is taking it uh, to, to another level. And, and even just having that kind of uh, observance of what you're doing is, as, a, as a younger CEO, that's probably very, very stressful. <laughs> um, but I, I appreciate that a lot. I can only imagine. Because uh, these, are, these are, you know, when you say a name like that, I think it shows the impact of what, what you were actually bringing to Volvo. So you're making a ton of changes. Uh, you're making socially conscious changes. You're making innovative changes. How can you make these changes without hurting profits, scaring off shareholders or stakeholders? How could you do it then? How can you do it now? Well, how could I do it then? Uh, it, 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 it takes 
it takes a bit of imagination. It takes a bit of, of uh, freedom in, in, in thought and, and still paying consideration to the people in the, in, in, in the company. And I think the, the blue-collar workers were, were extremely satisfied after a couple of months when they knew the rhythm and how to manage it. And uh, uh, there was so much uh, attention to what we did that that, that that became a worldwide story within a couple of months. And then as, as that becomes a worldwide story and it starts to work, is that when you gain a little bit more trust in in the stakeholders, in the in the financiers, in whoever, in the customers, you know, everybody who could be a naysayer in innovation? Is that how it well, unfolded? I, well, I, I think that uh, uh, that took quite some time <laughs> because I think that people also, my countryman, uh, who, who is a very small market, the Swedish market or the Nordic market, but but uh, they were suspicious. And they thought that it was strange that you could uh, change a, a mode and 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 the the way of of building cars the way we did. So there was quite a lot of skepticism. Do you find that um, there are lessons that businesses and organizations can learn from to perhaps eliminate some of that skepticism with? innovation now? Because I, I, as I look, you know, as I go through your book, there's several parts. There's, there's communication, there's innovation, there's all these different things that are very good leadership qualities that I think, though putting words in your mouth, these are things that we should look for in organizations. Yeah. And these are things that leaders of organizations should keep top of mind. So were there things that you learned out from being socially conscious and innovative that other people should sort of take heed of? Well, and they didn't, because in the United States, for example, I think that the the uh, automotive industry, for example, is uh, uh, still more or less the same as it was in the 1930s and 1940s, and very little has has uh, has changed. And it's it must be very monotonous for the blue collar workers, because they have perhaps 60 seconds or 90 seconds to do one detailed thing, like a bolt or whatever. And, and, and it doesn't give them any inspiration. It doesn't give them any knowledge and no non know-how on how a car is built. Of course, they know it if they've been there a couple of years. But uh, you know, also, they're, they're physically, it is very difficult, particularly for women, to use men's tools. So I changed all the tools. So there were tools for women and their hands and for the man. And like through a magic, <laughs> a, a magic change, all their problems with health disappeared, the women, because they had tools made for women's hands. So that was in itself a revolution. You could have uh, females that didn't didn't uh, have to to report themselves uh, suffering. So it all disappeared. So that, that that was one of the good things. And the other thing was that quality improved because you did you you didn't have to intervene all the time to to improve quality. So all the other plants in uh, the system of Volvo, whether it was engine plant, uh, transmission plant, uh, rear axles, front axles, whatever it was, you, 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 you could benefit from the system that we had at the Kalmar plant. So all the, all the, uh, all the factories were gradually changed to this type of system. And as you make this change, um, one point that I saw that I really enjoyed that you made that differentiation to move shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. Yes. What does that mean 
exactly. And how can we accomplish that? It means that uh, uh, if you look at some of the systems that are more or less classic now or old fashioned, it was all for the shareholders and uh, fairly good things for the, for the staff. But in, in my case, I think that shareholders is one thing and they should understand that there are limits to how much you can distribute. First of all, because you need capital to invest and reinvest. And secondly, because there are other interest groups that are very important. And that's the, the staff, the labor, it's the, it's the society where you're working, it's taxpayers' money, part of it, that, that your profit goes to. So, so you, you have to be much more diverse than just think of the shareholders and the chief executives. And I must say, uh, within brackets there, that I am shocked by the salaries that chief executives get in the United States. I think it's grotesque. And if they leave after five years, they get a bonus, even mm -hmm. if they're bad or if they're good. They get a bonus, and and the bonus is a few times more than their annual salary. So I I, I find that uh, you know not not acceptable because I think that there are more things to do if you have a well functioning or even badly functioning organization that you have to distribute the profits. And that. The sky high CEO pay um, golden parachutes when when they leave an organization uh, that extra bonus is that not something and excuse my naivety I'm looking at it from a lens of North America so yeah. Yeah. That, that's not something that you see as much in Europe or or is it still prevalent well it is prevalent in the United States so if you compare to uh, salaries, for example, in, in, in Europe, or perhaps in Japan. I don't know Japan that well. I've been there many times, but I don't know exactly what they say <laughs> and what they mean. But uh, in, in, in most of Europe, the, the uh, salaries and remuneration for chief executives are more modest, quite different from in the United States. Mm -hmm. But in Europe, they've also increased a lot a bit inspired by the United States. And uh, I, I think, you know, when, when you've been five years in, in, a, in, a, in a company, you have not learned very much about that company. You haven't contributed very much. And when you are five plus, you get a very high salary, even if you've failed completely. Mm -hmm. Now, these are all things I love. I love the direction this is going. So socially conscious companies, um, moving shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, making sure that CEO pay, that executive pay. These are all great leadership lessons, but it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to implement them. Yes, it is. Outside of a complete cultural change, yeah. how, do you, how do you do? And I don't even know if there is a, correct answer i think somebody would have thought through it but what's your opinion on how you how you actually revolutionize the workforce in, in a positive way well i had uh, people around me were very very surprised that i devoted so much time to the blue collar worker but i thought from the first hour that i came to volvo that they are the core of the company if we can't have a blue collar force that is both women and men and adapted tools adapted to how they could work better, more smoothly, less damage and less injuries, that would be great. So I got a very close relationship with them. And I remember when I first visited the, 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 big, the biggest plant in, in where we were based. Uh, and I came down in, in a suit and a tie. And uh, the head of the plant said to me, 
could you take off the tie, sir? I said, why, why would I take off the tie? <laughs> oh, he said, you know, the workers here, they, they, they don't like people who tie. I said, I don't care. I don't care. And they will not care about me when they see me. So I went in and there was a lot of, you know, curiosity when they had the new, very young uh, head of the, the company. Mm -hmm. And uh, after a year or so, and I visited all our plants as I went around the world and always had the suit that I usually had and, and tie. And I, I didn't have to take my tie off just to go for 45 minutes in per plant. So they accepted that. And they, after a couple of years, I had um, approval ratings because we also measured approval ratings from different parts of the world and different parts of the the company and i got a sky high after a couple of years approval rating from the blue collar workers mm -hmm. i think it's i think it i think it goes without saying it's because you you focus on building that relationship with them which yeah. is yeah you know it's something you were doing in the 70s and it's something that companies still miss the mark on today probably yeah. less yeah they probably do. Less, they do. But they still yeah yeah definitely do now another another model you speak about um, is the ESG environmental, social, and governance uh, investing model? Is that a way to make companies more in line with these values that you that you brought into Volvo in the seventies? I didn't quite understand the term there. The okay, so the the ESG model, environmental, social, and governance investing model. So, so okay, well, I I I have <laughs> I've seen that, but I've seen it later than I started it. <laughs> Because I think that has been developed, and yes. there's so 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 many vocabularies around industries. Sorry, yeah, no, my and, my and, apologies. And, and, <laughs> no, no, I'm 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 sorry. I I, I excuse myself when I when I say that to you, but I I don't quite get some of these terms, and uh, uh, I was uh, extremely interested in the environment, and uh, I can tell you one little anecdote that uh, when, when, when we came with the, my first new model, which was uh, looked like the previous one, but was totally different inside. And the, the whole driveline was different. And I was, there was a new authority in the United States, 1974, about uh, uh, the way that you marketed your cars and uh, they sent a demand to the company and said i know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and netsuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs for business owners because there's one thing that we all know business is about making money and it's about your bottom line and the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business the more profits you keep but these days everything is costing more supplies people shipping it squeezes your margins and i've been there juggling multiple systems for finance inventory you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com 
slash Scott Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials, but here's the 
best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. That uh, we would like, we would like the, you to come over and explain how you can have, you can have, a, you know, a language where you say that in Sweden, uh, cars are so-and-so. So normally a company of any size says, we'll send someone over, a lawyer or someone in, 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 on, in, in the country itself. And I got, I got so upset over this reproach <laughs> from a new authority. So I, I took a plane the next day to Washington. And uh, before I did, I, I asked the, the chief executive of, of that agency that was new and just created. I said, I'm coming myself. Am I welcome? And he, he was so surprised. He said, oh, you, you, you are the chief executive. I said, yes, that's why I'm coming. So I met him in his office which was, uh, you know, uh, an office in, in Washington that was uh, uh, fairly, fairly spacious. And uh, I was so upset when I came in. So I, instead of being, well, I was polite when I said hello, but, but, but then I also, you know, threw myself at him. <laughs> I said, I don't understand what this is. And, and, and I said, I, I, I think that it's so important for me and for all my employees to understand what you are after here. And he said, Mr. Yellenheimer, come to the window here. So I came to the window and he said, can you, this is a big parking space. Can you see that row? I said, yes. And he said, can you see my car? And he, he illustrated the, the color. And then I said, that's my Volvo. <laughs> Isn't that quite something? That is. I like that a lot. And, and, and then he shook hands and he said, lovely to see you. You are only one of the first visitors, but you are definitely the first important visitor that I've had. Otherwise, they come, you know. With um, uh, from their legal department. I like that, and that that was all just highlighting the importance of of the environmental focus on on how you marketed, how you how you built out the brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing that I I really wanted to understand, and then I'm going to give you some if there's anything else that I missed. What is one point that you've you've made is is short termism. Short-termism, so short-sightedness in corporate governance, and then its impact on income equal in, income inequality. Yeah. How does how do you see us fixing that piece, and what is that piece uh, about? I think it is really more than just rules and 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 regulations and paragraphs. It is your view of a whole corporation, the entire corporation. Who is interested to work there? Who is interested to improve? Who is interested to be a very good person with customers and understand the role of customers? Not only that you have to sell it, but that you have to maintain it, that the quality, the environmental care, all those things are one whole thing and one whole system and it th that was also the part of when we came into the we 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 made the engines for the uh, aircraft uh, fighter aircraft and attack aircraft and that was partly exported and then we came 
to be a partner in the European Space Agency. And our spacecraft, we, we lifted off the ramp, we lifted with our base the whole, the whole uh, skyrocket. Hmm. So, so we, 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 we had so many, many interests, and then we had marine engines as well. But, but my whole world, what I tried to inspire to my, my, my uh, you know, my, my blue-collar workers, the white-collar workers, and the, the, the management, <laughs> is how we should think. And if they, if they couldn't accept it, fine, that, that, then I would say goodbye to them. But most of them would accept it, and they were proud of it. So that was one piece of the business. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it seems, it's again, I, the one the one driving point that really is hitting me as I go through this is these things all make so much sense. They make it's common sense to focus on long term. It's common yeah. sense to focus and be socially conscious. Uh, a few other things like, but it's just it's about doing right. It's about actually yeah. acting on this yeah. stuff. Um, now I have I have a couple more questions that I like to ask that are sort of, of rapid fire about your career. But before before I get into that. Um, is there anything that I didn't ask about the book or about the reflections that you that you spoke on in the book that you wanted to touch on? No, I, I, I can just perhaps mention a few of the periods uh, in my life where where uh, I did different things. So after sure. um, after twenty three twenty four years at Volvo as head of Volvo all the time, uh, I left because uh, first of all I thought it was time. And secondly, I had other possible potential successors that, that I would let come through. So I, I moved and uh, I, I had, uh, first of all, a, a period where when I thought that we should have better environmentally friendly vehicles, I organized a club that was called the, the uh, uh, Club of the Seventeenth, uh, of the Seventeen. So it's like the, uh, like the council around Prince King Arthur's court um, from the middle, <laughs> from, from the 14th or 15th century. But so we were 17 and we were only industrialists and we were not anything else. And the 17, we started. And my, my proposal was that we should make an environmentally friendly place of Europe. So I met, I met with uh, uh, leaders of governments. Uh, I was the chairman of the club. I met with President Mitterrand, who was the, the president of France for uh, two, two periods. And with his uh, finance minister, who became uh, the uh, head of the European uh, Union, uh, the, the, uh, the chief executive of the European Union. And I had to talk to these people and also to the German chancellor and others to get their attention to what we would like to do because otherwise it would be a total bureaucracy. And uh, one, one thing that was quite amazing is that I, I, I met President Mitterrand, and I, I met him at a little private dinner with one of his associates. And he was eating his oysters, and I was telling him what I wanted him to know. And I said, Monsieur le Président, I said, you are going to miss Mrs. Thatcher within three days or two days. And I have a message for you to give her, namely, propose to her a tunnel under the English Channel. Not a bridge, but a tunnel. He came back and I got a telephone call Four days later, it'd been only two days with her, and he said, it's done. 
we have agreed to have that channel tunnel made. Hmm. And I think that was quite sensational. <laughs> I think that, well, that's, I think that's a huge, that's a, that's a huge point in, in your, in your life. Um, and, and the fact and that, then, you... and, yeah. And that, then also uh, we, 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 uh, we organized for a second tunnel under the Alps. They had one, a first tunnel under the Pyrenees between France and uh, Spain and uh, partly new motorways around Europe and the, the, the high-speed trains, uh, the, the French were the best, and they, they had a network over most of Europe uh, when, when I left the, the roundtable of European industrialists. Very impressive. And, and what, do you, what do you work on now? What's your current um, focus? Well, my current focus is, first of all, I am uh, I'm a, 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 an advisor to the chairman of uh, Thomson Reuters. You know, Reuters was yeah. bought by Thomson's in Canada, and, yeah. and Thomson Reuters is the name. And uh, uh, I, was, uh, I was the chairman of the founder share company of Reuters for 15 years, which is the longest that anyone, anyone has served, because I was asked to come to Reuters when they, uh, when they listed their shares. So they said, we need three new independent directors, one American, one English, and one European. I was a European. And uh, the, the, the American was the, the head of uh, City Corp. <laughs> hmm. Now, as you know, as this book um, comes out, is there anything else that you've had like a, such an impressive life and a, a very impressive resume? What else do you want to do? Or is, is this? <laughs> well, the, the, well, <laughs> well yeah, I, will, I will die fairly soon, I suppose. But, oh, but no, what, don't what, say what, that. Don't say what, 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 I, what I did after Volvo and, and, and the other things I've done is uh, uh, I was asked by uh, the chairman of a British insurance company called Commercial Union if I wanted to be the chairman. Uh, and then I had moved, uh, you know, I moved, moved away from uh, from, from Volvo, mm -hmm. and and I said yes. And then when I looked at it, I said it's a fairly small company. Uh, will, will will it be be possible to to compete in in in, in the international world? And he smiled a little bit. He said he's gone. It's gone fairly well, but I merged that company. Commercial Union within six months with a, 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 mid, a bigger company called General Accident, which was Scottish. And that merger came to fruition without any premium, mm -hmm. you know, just the value they had on the stock exchange. And then the third one I acquired within two, two, two years later. And uh, that became uh, the biggest insurance company in the United Kingdom. And uh, that was created in, in three years. Very impressive. Very impressive. Uh, you don't, and, you don't stop. That, you never retire. You just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, all right. So let me, let me ask a couple insights from your life. And they don't have to, you know, whatever, whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, what advice would you give somebody who's younger in their career trying to pursue something similar to yours? I would say that uh, if, if they are fairly fresh in mind, they should be without partisans, uh, partisan uh, weaknesses. They should have uh, integrity, independence, and freedom from bias. They should be, you know, rid of a lot of, of sanctions that they may have had from uh, other parties in, in, in their education. And uh, that uh, to, be, to be neutral and unbiased is a very good thing. Very good. And it makes you, makes you much more open-minded. Agreed. Very, very much agreed. I think that's one of the issues that we're seeing with a lot of 
individuals right now. It's so polarized. Um, where do you go to learn uh, and stay on top of, of what's relevant? Is there a resource, a person? No, it's not a resource or a person, but I have, I have a couple of uh, long-term friends. Uh, for example, David Rockefeller, he came the year that I became head of Volvo, he asked if he could see me. And he came literally four weeks after I had started as, uh, as my career as chief executive. And then he remained a friend until he passed away when 101 years old uh, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And then I met Henry Kissinger uh, when, when I was at Aspen Institute, where I tried to uh, make peace between the Middle Eastern states, which was quite, quite an interesting travel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what Aspen Institute is? When the, the Aspen Institute? No, I, I do know, I do know uh, Mr. Kissinger, though, but I don't know the Aspen Institute. What's, what is that? Now, the Aspen Institute was uh, a, an institute that was founded I think in the 60s and was uh, very much based in uh, California and San Francisco. And then a leadership appeared that made it a more or less global force. First global in the United States and then almost global around the world. And I was invited once to that. There I met Henry Kissinger the first yeah. time. Oh, I understand. Okay, that makes sense then. So that's okay, gotcha. Um, and now. and then they and then they said because there were top people that that uh, came came to the Aspen Institute, uh, which was in Colorado <laughs> at the time. Aspen, Colorado. That's why that's why it called Aspen Institute. But and they said, well, Perry Lama, we would like you to chair this group. How many people would you like to have? I said, no one. They said, no one. I said, I think, I think it's better alone and with one deputy because uh, coming a group, it's like, it's, it's like, a, you know, it, it, it's like an adventure or it's like, like diplomats. And I don't like it. I like to talk to the leaders directly. So I met with Anbar Sadat, the, the head of, of, of Egypt at the time, and who was killed. And uh, uh, I visited Israel, I visited Jordan, and I flew with a private plane from Jerusalem to Amman, which was forbidden, and I had to have permit from the, the, the ambassador or the, 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 the consul in, in Jerusalem and the king of Jordan. Very, and very it took impressive. Ten, it, it took 10 minutes <laughs> and, and, and uh, to, to fly. I mean, we, 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 so, so, I mean, you know, it, it's just next door to, to, to Jerusalem. But anyway, and, and then I met with Arafat and then I met with uh, the... Uh, uh, the prime minister in, in, in Israel. And, and we had a very good package when I came back from the Middle East to New York and to Aspen Institute because they thought it was quite remarkable. And the problem was that Carter was the president and he had only one term. And in December, it was clear that he was going to be succeeded by Ronald Reagan, who knew nothing about politics. And when this was presented to him, and his uh, uh, deputy, not deputy, but foreign, foreign secretary, Alexander Haig, who was uh, like a, a tin soldier, <laughs> a puppet 
and 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 very very difficult to talk to. And he was just engaged with Reagan, and he was the infamous person who, when Reagan was shot, he said, "I'm now in charge," hmm. and moved into the White House. And that was a serious mistake because it was the vice president who should have done it. Mm-hmm. And that was that was partly the end of him. <laughs> but but also Re- Reagan, who 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 uh, had, had no experience of foreign 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 office and, and foreign services and international uh, you know diplomacy. He, he wouldn't even listen to this. He thought it was something so strange to him that he wouldn't deal with it. That's a, that's but a I very interesting that story. W- very, very yeah, interesting story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very good. Um, what was I going to say? What would, be, what would be a lesson that you would tell your younger self? Well, a lesson I would tell my la- young, younger self is not to give a specific advice on anything. But be open-minded, have integrity, has freedom from bias, and uh, try to be a very decent person, mm-hmm. and and be very take real care about the people you have in your employ. If you have anyone in your employ, be open-minded. You can be sharp, you can be tough, but you have to be absolutely honest, fair and generous very good and um what's what's one way that you think that we can all make the world a slightly better place well i think i think it's late now to make it a better place <laughs> because <laughs> no, but because the environment the environment is, is is such a disaster and 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 uh, you have disasters everywhere i mean the the oceans are dirty and uh, the the species in the world for growth, seventy uh, percent have already gone, destroyed completely. So there's thirty percent left, and uh, uh, so so it it it's it's really a world that we have destroyed gradually and violently when when modern technology has come, and uh, uh, it's very late. So, so that that is one thing to 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 watch. The other thing to watch is, of course, this uh, new virus, mm-hmm. the coronavirus, because this is this is a plague of, of some sort. And if you look at how the United States has behaved under Trump, I mean, it's it's a total scandal. Mm-hmm. And he says we have had made t- made more testing of patients than any, anyone else in the world, which is total nonsense. I mean, he lies about everything. But so, so how he does with the United States and really the Western world is a disaster. So I think that, first of all, one has to understand where these uh, plagues come from and how you deal with it. And that will take a bit of time. And then learn from it, and then also understand how fragile the world is, because the North Pole now, the ice is melting very briskly now. It hasn't come to Antarctica yet, but it will come. So, if I would be born again now, <laughs> I I I I would really devote quite a lot of energy to this. That's wise words, and and you know you you you've done so much with your life. It's it's uh, it's something that behooves us all to sort of take a second look at um, who are younger in our careers, yeah. right? Yeah. Before it's too late. Um, and and the last question before I get some uh, some places to go and get the book and and find out more about what you're working on now. Uh, what is what does success mean for you? Success means. Uh... Many different things, but the, the, the most important thing is that the people I serve and the people I work with feel that they get something, even if it is against them, uh, you, know, that, uh, and, you, you know, the wind blows the other direction, that they have the faith to believe 
and to stand by and to work and do good things irrespective of, of, of you know how how, mm-hmm. how it fares and uh, uh, that, that that there is a good intention behind everything they are asked to do or hoping to do so uh, I, I I think that's the most important and and integrity and independence I think are are very valuable and freedom from bias because well if said. you if you have those three uh, you 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 will do well and lastly um most important uh, where do people connect with you uh website um is there Amazon for the book, of course. And when does that when does that release? I think it's about to be released. Let me just take a look here. Um, for the for the website, uh, you can go to um, uh, pairyellenhammer dot com. So that's an easy one. Yes, and everything yes. is there. Um, and then uh, LinkedIn as well. Uh, LinkedIn.com uh, for a pair at Yellenhammer. And then I think that um, the, the book will obviously be on the website, but it will yep. also be on, it'll also be on Amazon. So it's coming out September. So soon you're about a month away, but yep. character is destiny reflections on innovation and integrity from Volvo's longest serving CEO. So I'll link that in, in the comments okay. so people can go find uh, all the links, but that's all I have. Okay. <laughs> Is that enough for you? Yes. It's perfect. It was incredible. Yes. Thank you so much, sir. I yes. appreciate your time. Well, you're very welcome. And it was good to talk to you. That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, and peers. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds as it allows other people to find our podcast and lets our amazing guests reach even more people with their message. And remember, any rating is fine as long as it contains five stars. I'm Scott Clary from the Success Story Podcast, signing off. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching 
my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 